again, if somebody's like, hey, we'll trade you Steph Curry for CJ. I mean, there's those type of 2K <laughs> trades that are out there, but they're only out there in 2K. So for all intended purposes, you definitely want to keep CJ. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 29th and final regular season edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man, Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon. I'm ready to talk about this Blazers team. Can you believe 29 episodes? The the 2015-16 regular season is winding down. It feels like it just started yesterday. Yeah, it's... It's absolutely insane. We've been there every single week this year. It's it's fantastic, first of all, but I'm I'm sad that it's almost ended. Sad, but I'm stoked because this is the stretch run. We've got four games left, and then it's postseason basketball. I've talked about it on a previous podcast earlier in the year, but when I start seeing those Rip City flags around the city of Portland, whether it's down Broadway and you go through the rose quarter, and it's just decked out in playoff gear to support the team, and you see businesses with their Blazer stickers, you just get a sense of just joy. It's like I'm a little kid again. It's like Christmas for however long the playoffs last. And, you know, this team, they it's been a roller coaster, but, but right now they're riding it pretty damn well. They're doing exactly what they should, and they're really positioning themselves to – Maybe make some noise in the postseason. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about the postseason and that the Blazers are almost, what, one or two wins away from from clinching is ridiculous. They've already guaranteed themselves a non-losing season, uh, 41 wins, four more than I predicted. I thought 37, which I predicted earlier in the season, was uh, very optimistic. Oh, but... I remember making a lot of fun of you thinking you were super optimistic. I mean, when you have a star player... Things get easier. You when you have a star player and you have a secondary, uh, not an all star, but you have an all star caliber type player in McCollum, and then you've got players who know their roles. I think having role players in this league is so undervalued and underappreciated because it just sees that star player that's on Sports Center every night or is you know blowing up your Twitter timeline with an insane highlight. And it's true, one player can win a game and even a championship, as we've seen. Uh, throughout history in the game of basketball, but the great teams always have supremely talented uh, role players and supporting cast. We saw that with the Warriors last year. Their bench was one of the best in the business, and it's even better this year. That's just that's just how it goes, and that's why Portland has been so well done so well this year is because they actually have a bench. I remember two years ago when we knocked off Houston in that first round. You covered your eyes and you begged for mercy to the basketball gods every time a Blazer starter went out of the game because outside of Mo Williams, and even he was a grab bag of sorts when he came in the game, you just prayed for one or two buckets that the team would score 10 or 12 bench points. We're getting that from, you know, Henderson or Allen Crabb each night. So the foundation is set and the Blazers are doing some, some good things. And, you know, even though they did take, take, take a L in Golden State, a 136 to 111, if you didn't see that game and you saw that box score, Sage, uh, don't let that score be indicative of how close that game was. Portland jumped out to an 11-point lead 
uh, got it within nine, I believe, nine or seven, midway through the fourth quarter. Golden State just went on a Golden State run. Dame was really the only one that had it going, but that was one of the more fun games I had watched all season. And just to see Dame go toe-to-toe with Steph was just, it was beautiful basketball. He's averaging like a billion points against the Warriors, man. He's doing so well. I think yeah. you have to be motivated to play against the best point guard in the league. So he definitely he definitely gets up for those games. Hometown as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned uh, you know, a bazillion points. He had 38 on just 27 you know, field goals. What he's averaged this year against the Warriors is just stupid. 36.5 points on 47.5% shooting from the field, over 51% from deep. 87% from the line and 6.5 assists. That would be one hell of a second round matchup. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we're probably not going to win, but to see Dame in the playoffs against Steph, that's must see TV. And had the Blazers just had a little bit more firepower, uh, CJ got going a little bit more. They got more from, from guys like Aminu and, and Crab and Henderson. It was really just Harkless and Dame that had it going that night. And when Steph's going off for, what, 39 points and shoots 9 of 13 from 3, you're just not going to beat Golden State when you only have one player doing things like like Dame was doing. But I give Portland a lot of credit. Steph threw an onslaught at them. Mm-hmm. He was hitting shots 2, 3 feet behind the arc, a uh, hand in his face, just wasn't missing. He was in one of those modes. And for a while, while Dame was on the court, Portland was keeping the score even. And that's something they can take with them. I know a lot of people don't believe in moral victories or, or think that's, you know, just kind of like a crock of shit. Uh, to me, that this was a moral victory through, you know, three and a half quarters. Had this been a playoff game, I don't think Terry regressed Dame at the two-minute mark of the third quarter. That's when things started to unravel a little bit. But you could tell Dame was super tired. And if we were going to win that game, somebody else really had to shoulder some of the scoring load. But... uh you know, when Golden State shoots, shoots 18 of 30, uh, 60% from deep, that, that, that's tough. And he was hitting some really contested shots. It wasn't just wide open, like, ball movement jumpers. Blazers were contesting pretty yeah. hard on him. So. You know, I was tweeting from the Holy Backboard account that the Blazers can live with these shots that Steph's taking. No way you can not let him shoot the ball. He, he's just too quick. He's too crafty. He's going to get up shots. So that's almost out of the question. So if you're uh, a coach or defender and you have to say, what shot do I want Steph to take? It's two feet behind the arc with the big man running at him. He's just that good. He's the best shooter in NBA history. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody can really debate that anymore. But what we were talking about, what set this game apart was the bench from Golden State. Outscoring Portland's bench 42 to 22. I mean, Barbosa just gave them such a big lift in that late first quarter, second quarter. He really got them back in the game. He had 13. Livingston seemed to always have an answer. Even though he had eight points, it felt like it was always when Portland was trying to come back. And then Brandon Rush had nine. They they didn't miss. I mean, that, that's one hell of a team. Although I will say this. Uh, they did lose uh, to Boston the game before, which ended their home winning streak. And they had toyed with a loss uh, earlier in the week to Utah. They're looking a little bit more beatable. I still think they're definitely the favorites to win it all, but I think this record that they're chasing is taking a lot out of them mentally. Uh, do you agree with that, Sage? I think they're definitely putting a lot of pressure on themselves to get the record. I mean, Boston didn't even have Jay Crowder when they won. It wasn't the full Boston team. 
I think they are putting some pressure on themselves, but if they get the record or if they don't, I think all that stuff ends once playoffs start because that's the that's the game that they're really trying to play for. Their their chant last year and this year was June. You're playing in June. That's their goal. They're really going to just go next level. I, I could see that, but it, it seems to me that Steph has got it locked in, played the play a lot better. He was off against Portland, and the, that's the thing that kept Portland in this game for a while was they didn't let him go off like he had in the two previous uh, victories against the Trailblazers. Uh, he's going to have to play fantastic. Uh, he didn't play super great in the playoffs last year. He was one player I thought would really elevate his game because he made the All-NBA team, uh, who was an All-Star last year. And he kind of was quiet. It was really Steph that, that drove that team. Iggy had that great finals. But this isn't going to be the same path to the finals that they had last year. You're not going to get a beat-up Memphis team. You're not going to get a Houston team that had no business being there. And you're not going to get a Cleveland team missing two of their three best players. I mean, that's just not going to happen. They're going to have to run through San Antonio or Oklahoma City and then probably Cleveland. That's a tough ask. And uh, they're going to need their whole team to do that. But enough about the Warriors. I thought Portland did exactly what they had to do this week. We knew Portland was going to lose in Golden State. But they had two huge games against really good Eastern Conference teams. And uh, the most recent one was the Miami Heat. And Portland just handled them. 110 to 93. Sage, I'm not going to lie. When we started this game, we got down, I believe, 25 to 20. Second quarters, like a flip got switched, and the Blazers went on a 39 to 17 run over the last nine and a half minutes of that. You know, it really started on the defensive end. They held Miami to one shot, and they got and they ran. A white side was doing a great job of patrolling the paint early on. They had like four first half blocks. Our, our guards kept trying to attack him, and even when it looked like there was room, he would just come and erase it immediately, which is what he can do. And he also was, was scoring a little bit in the post, like directly off of dump-ins, where he didn't have to do too much of a move. But then he started to get a little cute. He tried to face up. He tried to shoot mid-range jumpers. And as a defender, you encourage that because that is not his game. And he's already a slope-prodding center, but not you know light on his feet. So when he's out on the perimeter, that's where you want him. You don't want him just going Dwight Howard on you, baby hook over your left shoulder, baby hook over the right shoulder, which is what he was doing early on. And like I said, the rebounds, Portland was a 25-19 edge in the first half. I really thought we weren't relying on three-point shots either. We were moving the ball around. What really worked was Mason Plumley, who had a fantastic game. He was key in the pick and roll. He made Whiteside move on defense. When you have a guy like Gobert, a Whiteside, you have to make the move side to side, mm. north and south. You can't just let them stay and react to the shot. And you have to get them. Exactly. Make them uncomfortable. They're, they don't want to move out there. They want to stay and they want to wait and they want to block. That's what they want to do. I thought Plumley had one of his best games of the season. 17 points on 8 of 10 shooting, 8 boards, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 1 block totally filled up that stat sheet and when Portland gave him the ball on the pick and roll he made them pay that opened up the floor for Dame and CJ Dame had you know 14 points on four of nine shooting in the first half Uh, CJ ended up with 24 for the game career high six of six from downtown uh, seven assists four steals and it just really 
once we got Plumlee going in that pick and roll, it just opens up everything. When teams cannot focus on our guards, life is so much easier for this team. So, speculating in the future, you've seen Hassan play at least three games that I know of. How would you feel about him in the black and red? I don't know. I know he's going to get a max offer. I just don't know if these type of centers are where the game is going. He's he's like the opposite of Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is so great offensively. He's so great defensively, but they're both slow as shit. And they're not very quick laterally. And that's what you need in the big. You you need, especially in the guard-dominated era right now, if you're going on the pick and roll, you need your big to be able to step up like a Draymond Green and play that switch. So you're comfortable with Draymond going up against Dame and Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook for, for possessions. That's what you have to have. Yes, it's nice to have a rim protector, but teams will scout you and teams will know your weakness. The NBA is going towards players who can do a jack-of-all-trades, very versatile players who can do multiple things, not just specialize the game. Um, I think there are always going to be special cases like a Rudy Gobert, but how many seven, six players with eight-foot wingspans are out there in the world? A couple. I mean, they just don't exist. So there's always going to be, you know, exceptions to the rule. Um, you know, long story short, I wouldn't be upset if we got Whiteside. I think he's got a lot of promise, but he's he's not going to be an offensive player. I don't think he, he would fit his Terry's offensive scheme either. No, you can't play him in the pick and roll. He's. I, I think if you're in the '90s, he's a fantastic asset. I don't know if if you want to spend max money on a a player who's just going to be a specialist. I would love to see what he can do to help the defense, though. But I, I don't think offensively he fits the scheme if Terry Stotts is going to be the coach of this team going forward. Yeah, and then but you also have to look at teams like the Warriors, where that's if if they are going to win the championship again, or even win uh, or you know beat the Chicago Bulls' uh, record of seventy-two wins. That's the blueprint. You have to figure out how to beat that team. Uh, it's kind of like the Lakers when they had Shaq and Kobe. How do you beat that team? Portland gambled and they guessed wrong by trading Brian Grant and Jermaine O'Neal to try and gain more beef inside. Uh, that messed with chemistry, and we all knew the fallout from that. But you have to figure out who's the best team, how to because you know that championship's going through the Bay Area. How do you go through that that arena and, and steal it from them? I don't know if Whiteside is that answer. Yeah, but there's not that Warriors team is just so good. It's hard to have those players to match up against them. See, you're talking white side. I would rather go out and get perimeter defenders. I think that's where the game's going. If you can defend on the perimeter, you're gonna win games. Mm-hmm. So because because players are so good at attacking off of, off of the screen and roll, they're so good at working off the ball. I mean, look at DeRozan off the ball; he killed us. You look at any point guard who Lowry, Chris Paul, Westbrook, Steph, that pick and roll, Reggie Jackson is just murder for the trailblazers to defend. If you can get a guard who can fight through screens or deny the ball and play pressure defense, they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, that's why you got to find them before they actually show how good they are. There's no way in hell the Blazers are getting Jay Crowder. But if we can find the next Jay Crowder, the next Kent Bazemore, I think that's a very good thing for the Blazers to do is get that perimeter defender. For, uh, Al Farouk's good, but you need a guy who can hit threes more, more consistently. 
I said we need more Chiefs. We need more players who who play better defense uh, like that. But I will say, after the Blazers went through that horrific stretch of defense, they've started to turn it up. They hold Miami to 93, and I think it fuels their offense. They, they were 14-0 fast break points in that first half. You know, Miami only gives up 98 points a game. I think that's third best in the league. Portland puts up 110 on them. So it's obviously having, you know, a positive effect on this team. When they get stops, they cash it in, and they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs if they step up their defense like they've been doing. And uh, it's beautiful to see, you know, just to talk a little bit more about that game. Harkless continues to prove his, his, his worth when he starts the Blazers. They just get get dubs. You know, he always gets us off to those good starts. He had eight points on four or five shooting um, in that first half. He's attacking the rim, whether it's on the fast break or he gets the ball in the paint. He's finishing. And then you've got Hendo coming off the bench, who has just been a rock for this team. Uh, he finishes with 17 points on six of 12 shooting. I don't know if you got a chance to read it or not, but he had there was an article, I believe, by Joe Freeman of the Oregonian and was talking to Gerald about free agency. And Gerald said, you know, I played my whole career in North Carolina. I've got my family in North Carolina. You know, he went to Duke and played with Charlotte um, coming out of Duke. So he's this is a whole culture shock coming to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Says he's fell in love with the city. But is that going to be enough to keep him sage? Uh, he's going to be unrestricted. He could easily start for so many teams. And again, is, is the West Coast going to be... You know, is he going to be okay living on the West Coast and being a bench player because CJ is the starting two guard on this team? That is a, I think that's the million dollar question for our unrestricted free agents. Or the only question, really. Ah, part of me thinks that he wants to be in Portland for a while. Then the other part of me thinks it might be fun for him to be on like a, a legitimate contending team. I don't know. It, 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 I think the playoffs are going to dictate a lot. It's tough to say now, but the playoffs will dictate a lot. If the Blazers do well, shit, he might actually sign a long-term deal here. But if it's embarrassing, he might leave. I don't know. It, it, what do you think? I honestly think it'll come down to whether Neil wants him back or not. And I say that because Neil has so many options this summer with restricted free agents, with unrestricted free agents, with all of the cap space this team has. And it does come down to the the playoffs. How competitive are they against one of the top four teams at West? Do they potentially advance to the second round? Uh, what I do know is he is going to be high on the priority list. Uh, I think he will be high on the priority list for Neil Olshie because this is the time to win is now. Uh, Portland proved they're a better team than most predicted, and you cannot waste years off of Damian Lillard's NBA career. Uh, simple as that. You need to go out and get free agents that are ready to help right now, that are in their prime, still fit that career arc. But Portland's found enough gems in Aminu, Ed Davis, Mo Harkless. Um, they've got young players of their own, like Alan Crabb and Noah Vonley. It's time to get some proven veteran players around the 27, 28-year-old range and he would definitely fit that we've seen a revitalized blazer bench the team doesn't really drop off when he comes in there he's actually more of a calming presence when you need a big bucket he's either hitting that mid-range shot where he's posting up his defender 
He still has hops like a mug out there, just jumping out the gym. Dude. And he plays goddamn good defense. He's really, he's athletic enough to defend the athletic wings, but also powerfully built enough to to bang. It's like someone's trying to take him down low. He's powerful enough to play some decent post defense. You saw him just get into it with Wesley Matthews a week ago. He's game for anything oh. on defense. Oh, yeah. He's he's one of the hard notes. He He's an old-school type of player. I will say this, though. I don't know if Portland can afford to keep both him and Alan Crabb if they have aspirations of landing a couple big-name free agents. Right answer. <laughs> what was that, Sage, for people who couldn't hear you? Ryan Anderson. Yeah, I mean, he would be a nice get. Uh, there's been talk about Horford. Uh, we mentioned Hassan Whiteside. De- DeMar DeRozan has an early termination option. Obviously, Kevin Durant would be the number one. You have to at least try to get a meeting with Durant mm. at this point in time. There's just a lot of options. Uh, the nice thing about a guy like Alan Crabb is, since he's a second-round player, his cap hold is so small. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who are not... I mean, I'm not completely adverse to the CBA, but a cap hold is essentially there. So teams can't just say, okay, we're not going to sign you right now, but we'll use, mm-hmm. let us sign everybody else. And then, and then we'll, we'll sign you. Here. Yeah. Because yeah. you can go over the cap to sign players with bird rights. Since we drafted Crab or traded for him, we have his bird rights, which means we can go over the cap to sign him. But his cap hold is much smaller than what he's actually going to get because his current salary, I don't even know if he's making a million, maybe a million, two million dollars because he's a second round pick. So who do you think has a better free agency value? Alan Crabb or Gerald Henderson? In just terms of getting a big, long contract, who do you think has the better value? Uh, it's got to be Gerald Henderson, just because he's at the prime of his career right now. Uh, Crabb, you're paying for potential. Mm-hmm. While that does pay, prime players always get the top dollar. You look at a team like Oakland City, you look at a team, before they everything went down, the Chicago Bulls, they're looking for that. I thought even the Cleveland Cavaliers should have made a move. You're looking at the teams with weak shooting guards. I know Butler's fantastic, but they needed backup. They need wings. Rose being in and out of the they, they would pay a premium for a guy like Gerald Henderson. Mm. Alan Crabb, I think, would probably go to a team that's you know on the up and up, probably looking for a nice young piece to bring off the bench or even to start and see if it works. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily a contending team. That's yeah. you know NBA championship contending team for, for Crabb. Did you you predicted the Blazers were going to lose to the Celtics, didn't I you, man? I did. I did. I had a bad week in terms of predicting wins and losses. This was this game played with my emotions. Oh, it messed with mine immensely because for most of the game I felt dread. Oh, this is going to be a bad loss, and then all of a sudden the momentum changed. Was that my boy? And it better be your boy, Al Guminu, made that momentum change. They made a conscious effort to just let Alfaruk Aminu score. And he can do that. He was wide open on every single shot he took. He is an NBA caliber player. So, you know, big ups to you, Chief, for making them pay because, you know, he had a career high 28, 20 of those in the second half, which was super clutch, 6 of 11 from deep in nine rebounds, three blocks. He was the MVP of that game. Portland gutted out a 116-109 victory against the Celtics. Like you said, it was a roller coaster. Boston jumps up by 
by eight or, or ten. And it was like playing Memphis where that lead felt like it was 20. Portland fought back and went up six. Then Boston, for about two and a half quarters, held this 12-point lead. All of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, Portland goes on a 10-0 run in the last 90 seconds of the third quarter to get back in the game. I believe there was a 25-point swing from the seven-minute mark of the third quarter to maybe the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter. So Portland went up 13 and even when we were up 13, I was nervous as hell. Oh, yeah. And wouldn't you know, Boston, off of a missed free throw, kicks it out to Jay Crowder for three, and all of a sudden we're down one. And you just kind of throw throw your hands in the air, like, what do we have to do to beat this team? They're fun to watch, man. That game was fun to watch. Except, like, yeah, it messed with my emotions, but there was some fun basketball. Avery Bradley is a hound on defense, bro. He's, you know, we saw Dame go up to him after the game. Say, hey, you're the best perimeter defender. CJ McCollum tweeted the same thing uh, during that Boston Golden State game that he's the best perimeter defender in the game. It's completely true. They have got guards for days. Uh, Marcus Smart comes in and plays tough defense. Uh, Jay Crowder, who's on the wing, plays some good defense. Uh, the way the way to beat the Celtics is if you have a low post score because Jared Solinger and Amir Johnson aren't stopping anybody down low, or if you have that third score. Yes, they could hound Dame and CJ, but they left Chief open. If that's Kevin Durant or DeMar DeRozan as your third score, or they, CJ would have been third score in that case, but you get what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If you have three scores and they only have two good defenders, you're going to just go at whoever Isaiah Thomas is guarding. For for now, it's a really bad matchup for Portland, but it might be one of the best wins of the season because if you're trying to catch the Grizzlies for fifth, this was a must win. And Absolutely. They pulled it out. It was, it was incredibly fun. I'm just running out of you know superlatives to describe this game, but I thought Portland did a great job of kind of staying with the game. The game was a roller coaster, but I thought they did a good job of playing even keel early on. We had a lot of turnovers. We had seven first quarter turnovers. Boston got out 23-15 in points off turnovers in that first half. Which, which led to them, you know, having just a stranglehold on the tempo and the pace of that game. But Portland did a great job the rest of the way. They only had eight turnovers over the last three quarters. It allowed Portland to get up and down a little bit more. And the threes were raining. It was a bright and sunny day on that Thursday, but, uh, it, w- it was raining, raining trays inside the RG. Portland shot 14 of 34 from deep. That's almost 46%. You're not going to lose many times when you go 14 of 34 from downtown. So do you think that in the playoffs, whatever team we play, do you think their defensive scheme, what they're going to do is let Alfaruko Minu shoot threes, and if they hit, they'll adjust? Do you think that's what like Doc Rivers will have them do, or Billy Donovan? Well, thankfully, a few things. One, we only play Boston twice a season. Two, because they're out east. Three, we likely will not see them in the playoffs. What about if we make it to the championship and it's the, well, if the, that happens, point off series? Yeah, if, if that happens, you know, I'll definitely take that and run with it and go buy a couple of Powerball tickets and uh, play. Key- I play all the lottery games if that, if that playoff series happened. <laughs> so the beauty of that is no other team in the NBA possesses the amount of perimeter defenders that the Celtics have. So you can try the blitz game, uh, send the double. It's just not going to be as effective. I think, to your point, 
the Blazers are going to have to get contributions from Alan Crabb, Gerald Henderson, Alfred Camino on that perimeter. Other players are going to have to make shots uh, in different ways. We saw the Miami Heat. They had Hassan Whiteside down low. What did we do? We made a move with Plumlee. Plumlee made him work with the buckets inside. That would probably be a good strategy against a team like OKC, against the Clippers, who have been known to take Dame out and pressure him half courts in that trap. He's going to have to split that defense, or we're going to have to use another ball handler, maybe a Minu, to set the offense up and let Dame run around screens and you get free. Uh, what I really liked, and I believe it was, it was against Boston. It was when we were struggling to get points. We sent Dame around the basket. Mm-hmm. He started on the right side, went around to the left. He had picks from Von Ley and Ed Davis, like staggered screens. They got him wide open for an elbow jumper. We're going to have to see a lot of that. Dame off the ball, using the bigs to to set screens, just like what other teams do to us, what Toronto does with DeMar DeRozan, what the Clippers do with J.J. Redick. They run those guys ragged, and you get your defender tired, and you're going to get a mid-range jump shot. These are NBA players. That is like a layup to you and I. So that's what Portland's going to have to do. Terry, the, the great thing about Terry is he's a great offensive mind. You give him seven games to figure out a defensive scheme, money, my money's on him able to fi- to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. But uh, you mentioned Boston giving Dame and CJ a tough night, and it, it was. Dame was just 3 of 16 shooting, uh, 14 points. Really only got those 14 points because he got to the line eight times, converted seven of them. CJ fared a little bit better, but still shot under 50%. He was just 8 of 19, 17 points. Uh, the two shot just combined uh, two for 11 from three. Oh, no, it, it is amazing the Trailblazers exited this game with a victory, but I'll tell you why. Outside of Aminu, it was their defense, and they held Boston to just seven of 19 field goals, and Isaiah Thomas was not able to – he was not able to have that 30-plus point night that he had in the first meeting. He got off quickly, eight first-quarter points, but he just ended with – 14 points the rest of the way. He shot almost 33% from the field. And we forced him to make a lot of turnovers. He was slipping around the floor. He was trying to get too deep in the paint. They talked afterward on the postgame show about the Blazer defense forming a shell around that basket. And I think that's a great way to do it with this team because you don't just have a white side or a Gobert that's going to just say, no, this area is mine. You know, it's a no-fly zone. It takes a team. And that's what they did. They really protected the paint. They made Boston try to beat them from the outside and that they're going to have to continue to get creative with their defense and just want it more. I think I thought they wanted it more than the Celtics on this game. And, and it showed uh, easily a top five victory of the year that Boston is for real. If you had any doubts about the Celtic team, they went into golden state and handled the warriors without Jay Crowder. Steph threw another onslaught at them. That third quarter, he kept making buckets. The crowd was into it. They did not. You, they, of course, they didn't want to see that streak end. Mm-hmm. But Boston made bucket after bucket. They were cool, calm, and collective. And that was a team that our Blazers beat on a rested Boston team. So you know, drink a beer, give yourself a golf clap, whatever you want. Tip your hat. Any way you want to celebrate, celebrate that victory because that was a playoff victory right there for the Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. It there was a lot of fighting for that game. It wasn't. In, it never felt safe either way. It never really felt safe. So that was a good victory. 
you're going to have to, if we're going to be successful in the playoffs, we have to see more of those victories. And with it being the final regular season podcast of the 2015-2016 season, it wouldn't be a finale without handing out some awards. Uh, we're probably going to be a lot of duplication, but uh, let's start it off, Sage. Who do you have for MVP? Stephen Curry. Do you think it will be unanimous? Probably not. I think there will be a few people that say Draymond, a few people that say LeBron, but I think Stephen Curry's going to get it. What, what about Kawhi? Ooh. I think Kawhi will get some votes. Yeah, I think so as well. But yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Steph's getting it. it, it it's got to be Steph Curry. Uh, Coach of the year, who do you have? Golden State's duo? If they get the record, I, w- I would agree. And I think if they get the record, it should go to... Uh, Steve Kerr, but they were saying today on Twitter, uh, beat writers were getting ballots and the coaches were actually listed separately. Luke Walton is in coach. Steve Kerr is regular season coach. I hope it doesn't skew the vote. And to me, that's just weird because for whatever reason, Walton's victories counted for Kerr. So I don't even know why or how he is on the ballot, but yeah, if they get 73 wins, it has to go to somebody from Golden State. If they even if they fail to reach it, they started off twenty four and zero, and they have not lost two consecutive games all year. Just wrap your mind around that: eighty two games, and they're about to not lose twice in a row all year. Incredible! Uh, the home winning streak, the longest in NBA history. I mean, the list goes on and on. It, it's got to go to the Warrior coaches. Um, executive of the year, who would you give that to, Sage? That is a very tough one. Because Golden State say the same, so they're not getting it. Yeah, yeah, you can't get you know, for everything that Golden State did right, the executive didn't didn't do shit. <laughs> he just well, let that bake. So yeah, good. I mean, continuity. Um So it's gotta be someone oh, Man, that's tough. What do you have? Let me think about it. Who do you have? You know, looking at the teams who have surprised, because it usually goes to a team that's surprised. You know, I like I like Portland. Obviously, Boston and Toronto have had good seasons. But Toronto, the reason I knocked them down a bit is their prize acquisition, Damari Carroll, hasn't really played it all this year, and they're still doing well. So I think that's more on the coaching and the mm-hmm. the coaching than than the, than the executive. Mm. And Demar Carroll didn't play well when he was playing. No, and you uh, you look at Boston. Who did they add this offseason? They, they they got all their pieces last year. It was they, continuity. They, it was the continuity again, jump. Slot on Brad Stevens for that one. I think it's going to come down to R.C. Buford at San Antonio because he lured the, the best free agent of the class, Lamarcus Aldridge, and right now he's fitting like an absolute glove in that system. Uh, got Danny Green on a very cheap contract. I believe brought back Patty Mills. Uh, just whatever he does, it seems like it touches to, to gold. I would give it to Neil Olshay. Yes, I'm a homer, but when you've got Vegas, who really isn't wrong, and when people bring up you know the Vegas predictions, that means a lot. That holds a lot of weight because Vegas isn't wrong on these these lines for each game or for the season. They are dialed in. They know their shit. So when Vegas says you're only going to win 26 and a half, and you're knocking on the door to 45, that's almost a 20 point swing. And Olshay had a huge hand in it. Yes, stocks as well, but 
You look at Olshay signing Aminu to a seven to a seven million dollar year deal. Uh, same for Ed Davis uh, trading the twenty third pick in the draft for starting center Mason Plumley, uh, trading Nicholas Batum for a young Noah Vonleh and Gerald Henderson to come off the bench and provide scoring. I, I don't know how he doesn't get it, especially if the Blazers continue to play so well to end the season. I think he'll definitely get a lot of votes, but he'll probably go to R.C. Buford. Who do you have for Defensive Player of the Year? To me, this is the toughest award. It's either I think it might go to Golden State again with Draymond Green. I was leaning towards Kawhi, and I think he might be the best overall defender, but after seeing Avery Bradley these past two games and how difficult it is to be a guard perimeter guard defender, Kawhi gets to play the small forwards. And yes, I know LeBron and Durant and Paul George and Carmelo. Yes, Hall of Fame players, on and on and on. There is not a position in the NBA with more talent depth than the point guard position. And Avery Bradley is on them every single night. The way he fights through screens and just, he's swarming his defender. It's like he's a magnet. And he, I, I don't think he'll get it this year. He's not going to get it, but he would get my vote. Oh, yeah. I think I agree. He he's the best perimeter defender, but they're they're going to be laid on him just like they were laid on everyone. I think it's either I think it's going to Draymond. Who do you have for six man of the year? Oh God! Since I know this for a fact that it, he's eligible, I'm going Drew Holiday. You can't give it to a player on a twenty win team. Who are you going to give it to, Will Barton? I don't even, to be honest, I don't even know. Like, who, he's the only sixth man I know. Drew uh, was on the bench enough to qualify for the award and was the leading scorer. Yeah, I'm going Drew Holiday. Because Maybe. people are talking about Jamal Crawford, but he's been starting a lot of games. Yeah. He's going to qualify, but to me, a sixth man is a true sixth man. Um I'll go with, with the thrill just because of the way he's really turned his game around and has made himself into a household name. But with so Denver many players injured. Him and, so much. I got friends in Denver. They love the thrill. I mean, he's he's fun to watch, man. They're really falling apart because of injuries, but yeah. they're healthy. They're kind of fun to watch. Rookie of the year. This Probably is, this is a easy one. The question, though, does he become the fifth unanimous rookie of the year? I think he, so. He would join Ralph Sampson, David Robinson, Blake Griffin, and our own Damian Lillard as a unanimous award winner. I think it's easily unanimous. Yeah, he's, he's had such a fantastic year. Like, it's Tim Duncan-esque stats. So I'm going unanimous. Yeah, it's... I mean, unless you get one of those voters like, uh, what was it, Chuck Swirsky for the Toronto Raptors who voted Bargnani over Brandon Roy in 2007, um, it's going to be unanimous. But some, but there are, there are always those one vote. There's always that one if voter out there. Sane, if they're sane, if the voters are sane, it goes to Carl Anthony Downs unanimously. Who is your first team all NBA, Sage? Stefan Russell. Is it? Does it have to have a center? No, because I was thinking about that today at work. I was definitely gonna. I was like, I was going down the list. I was like, yep, I was with you. I was with Steph and Russ. I think KD's got to be on there. I think LeBron probably will. 
LeBron, and I got to go Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard cannot be. On I, think the that, I think I think I think you have to have a center because there was talk that Anthony Davis is the only way he's getting it is if they put him as a center. Is, has there been any center worthy of being first team All NBA though? Um, not con- not consistently. Boogie for a while, Dre Drummond for a while. So who who would your center be then if you had to have a center? And in which forward would you leave off? I'd probably leave off. I guess I'd take go boogie and then leave off. Man, that's so tough. Katie, whatever. I would leave off LeBron. I think he's had he's had a a pretty good year. But when you look at just the dysfunction that the Cavs had, uh, the Cavs have they're fifty five and twenty two. They play in the goddamn Eastern Conference, and they're just so lackadaisical. I don't know at what point you say it's LeBron's fault or it's not LeBron's fault, but he got traded there. They already had Kyrie in place. They traded for Kevin Love, another big three. The team on paper is stacked to high heaven. Um, I know he puts up numbers, but I I think Durant's had a better year, and I think Kawhi has to be on there. He's been the engine for the Spurs, who in any other year would be by far and away the best team in the league. Uh, They still might even win the NBA title, so... I would go Cousins, Leonard, Durant, Steph, Russell. Where's uh, Damian going to be? If Portland ends up fifth, like I'm predicting, I think he's got to go second team All-NBA, and that's where I would have him. I think he's one so of the top. So Chris Paul, or who, who, I, who's the other guard? I've been really impressed with Kyle Lowry this year. Oh, he's a bad boy. You know, Chris Paul, again, nice. I'm being a little bit hard on CP3 just because the Clippers, they they should be better than what they are. Yes, I I know Blake Griffin, he's been out since Christmas, so they get a pass there. But in general, like for the past three years, the Clippers should be better, man. They've got talent. And Chris Paul is a better player when he's more offensively, I would say, aggressive. Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. He just, he's too pass first. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with him at second. I just think... What Lowry's been able to do with the Raptors, again, without Damari Carroll, uh, they're fighting for that number one seed out east. I would reward him with that. So I would go second team for Dame. And then and LeBron would be in that mix. LeBron, yeah. Uh, Draymond. Draymond. And then, you know, with Mark Gasol, it's so hard to find a center. Maybe Andre Drummond. AD. He's been hurt, though. Well, now. He's been hurt though. He's well, been hurt. He's been down the lineup this year. Well, I think I think he'll get the third. But man, yeah, probably the third team. Um, it's just it's so it, it it's all on the voters. What hits their specifics on getting it? If they're and, sane, they'll do this. If they're insane, anything can happen. Yeah, I just don't like the whole center thing to be there. They all started with the whole center forward uh, exclusivity, so you have to have a vote for a center. I think the ga- the way the game is changing, you it's all front court. It should be front court and back court, in my opinion. All right, buddy. We just witnessed one of the greatest NCAA tournament finals in history. For those who didn't see it, have been living under a rock. Villanova won the title on a game-winning three. It was only what made it so much more 
impressive was Marcus Page of UNC hit a double clutch three to tie it up with like four seconds to go. Nova gets it to Chris Jenkins off of a pass, pulls up, game winner. That's a shot you're going to see in the NCAA montage for decades. For decades. And with the end of March Madness comes a lot of players declaring for the NBA draft. Sage, you had a question for me about best and worst case scenarios. So fire away. Okay. We got a question for from Joe. He asked, what are the best and worst case scenarios for Buddy Heald, Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram? And so, who's your favorite Buddy player Heald. in the draft? Of those okay. not listed. Of those three not listed? Yep. Okay. So, Buddy Heald, I think a best case is a healthy Eric Gordon, which Ooh. we saw he was just getting just getting to. When he was healthy, he was a bad boy, and you know it. Oh, yeah? From the Clippers. <laughs> just because your team was too stupid to match his restricted free agency, don't take it out on him. I will take healthy it out Eric on Healthy Eric Gordon him. slash Mitch Richmond. I yep. I think the Mitch Richmond is pretty spot on. Uh, a little bit undersized as a two, but can just shoot the lights out of the basketball. Um, worst case, I think I said something like J.R. Smith minus the attitude slash Jimmer Fredette. Um, he could do a lot of things in college. He took a lot of tough shots. Um, is that going to translate? Still needs to get a better handle. He's really just a scorer that's off the ball. Um, off the screen, off the catch and shoot. I mean, he's the best player in college basketball. There's, there's no doubt about that. But let's not forget that players like Jim or Fredette were also considered the best player in college basketball for a while as well, too. My worst case scenario is going to be different. I think he's Rodney Hood. All right. So so more of a slasher. What do you think about Ben Simmons? Well, who's your best case scenario for you, though? Oh, Mitch Richmond. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, Simmons, if we're going absolute best case scenario, you're looking at a guy, what, Magic Johnson? A 6'9 forward who could play, you know, the, any position. I guess if you're looking to be a slightly more realistic with the best case scenario, maybe Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, a player who probably doesn't have the best jump shot in the world but can affect the games in so many other ways. Oh, man, worst case, any regular point forward. <laughs> Yeah, I think his absolute worst case scenario is Grant Hill when he was on Phoenix. Gets you yeah. gets you some points, some boards, and some assists. I think Yeah. Or even Nicholas Batum on the Blazers minus the jump shot. Mm-hmm. Gonna I think be an- likely thing will be him Grant Hill on Orlando or Detroit. That stratosphere of talent. You know, triple double threat. But if he can start hitting from three you know, think about it. Ball handling, small forward who can pass, finish in transition, long wingspan. He could be Scotty Pippen if he hits on everything. Mm-hmm. So Brandon Ingram, who's yep. your best case for him? I think he's going to have a Glenn Rice type of career. Ton of A lot of offensive production. I think his ceiling's Kevin Durant, but I think Glenn Rice is more likely. You're talking about career, not player type, right? Because okay. he doesn't look anything like Glenn Rice. Yeah, but I think production will be Glenn okay. Rice. Okay, just make making sure our listeners know that you're not no comparing. No. But production wise, he's more of a uh, of a Glenn Rice. Yeah, he's definitely got the look and feel of Durant. When you look at the body type, um, 
looks a lot like Will Barton too. He's just wiry. He's skinny. Mm-hmm. He's long and he's lanky and he can get to the cup wherever he wants. So I think Will Barton might actually be a pretty good comparison for him. And Will Barton's playing out of his mind right now. I, I'm not seeing the Durant production. I see the similarities in the game, mm-hmm. but you got to remember Durant was just lighting up fools uh, in the NCAA tournament. National was he the national player of the year that year? He might have been. He might have. Uh, I mean, you know, in- KD no, just I- had humongous balls to shoot whenever he wanted. For that Duke roster, it was Grayson Allen with the humongous balls. I yeah, think Ingram KD- shies away from that big clutch moment a little too much. I think Brandon Ingram, worst case, it's tough. I mean, just his body type is just, he's a new breed of player. I don't know. That's a tough one. But I I think if he doesn't get a consistent jump shot, he's going to be out of the league pretty soon, though. Maybe a guy like Archie Goodwin could be his worst case scenario. What about Danny Granger or Steven Jackson? See, I don't know if he's ever going to be put on. He's going to be like a Durant. He he's just long and wiry, so I don't know if he's going to be able to put on the weight. Um, with a jump shot, he he's got the body type of, of like if he gets a, a jumper, like Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis was really long and skinny, and uh, early on in his career, he didn't really have the jump shot. So if he could develop a jump shot, he might have that type of career. Uh, hopefully, for whoever drafts him, has a little bit better career. But uh, the potential is definitely there. I saw him play against the Ducks and really got to the cup at will. Uh, showed good range on his three. Uh, definitely worthy of that top three pick. But outside of those three players, who is your favorite prospect in the draft stage? Jamal Murray. Yeah, I think he's mine as well. I think he's got a little bit of a CJ B-Roy to him. Uh, he's got the shakes. Can play one and the two. Nice jump shot. Was the unquestioned like go-to scorer for that Kentucky team that won the SEC and the SEC tournament. Uh Love Denzel Valentine, too, if you're drafting a little bit later in the draft. I think he's going to give you a lot. He's not going to do one thing great, but he's going to do a lot of things good. Mm-hmm. And he's going to come in sure and ready to play. So those are my two guys. I think that Murray's stats weren't as impressive because teams played zone so much. But when they played man-on-man, he had he showed, he showed had a lot of tools to score offensively. I think he has a lot of potential. Buddy Heald might be better this next year, but I think Jamal Murray has the more potential for his career. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so moving on from the draft, we're just about... I mean, I don't think we'll have to worry about it. No, we ain't worrying about the draft. In just about a week, the Blazers will know their seed. But there are four teams, Portland, Memphis, Dallas, and Houston, Utah. Utah? Five teams, excuse me, five (laughs) teams, four spots. Someone's got to miss it. Someone's got to miss out. I think it's safe to say we both believe Portland and Utah are locks with the way they're playing right now. Of the three remaining teams, Memphis, Houston, and Dallas, which one do you have missing out on the playoffs? Uh, the great state of Texas with Dallas missing out. What about you? I, they're just so injured. They're old. They're throwing out all these new lineups. I think they're just testing stuff out for the future right now. And but they're they're one four straight games though. 
Seriously, damn. They are only a game and a half behind the Trailblazers, and they have the tiebreaker over Portland, which is why these games are so crucial for the Blazers. Because, yeah, you're looking at Memphis, but you've got to worry about Utah and Dallas because those two teams are playing on fire right now. Let's look at Dallas's schedule the rest of the way, and they've got Houston at home, which that's a benefit for Portland. One team's got to lose that game. They've got Memphis at home. That's a win the way the Grizzlies are playing. But you're right. They do have two tough games. They have at the Clippers, at the Jazz, and they finish against San Antonio at home. San Antonio is going to be resting everybody that game. That's that's a win for Dallas in my mind. Um, Los Angeles probably should be resting their players too because they have the fourth seed pretty much locked up. So that's why it's so hard to project uh, this late in the season. You don't know what the other coach is going to do in terms of resting his players. So if I look at that, I'm saying maybe one loss for Dallas. Um, and then you look at a team like Memphis, who really, they're, they're losing their winnable games. They lost to the Lakers on March 22nd. They lost to the Nuggets um, eight days later. And then they just got shellacked this past Sunday in Orlando. That was supposed to be one of their, one of their winnable games. Looking at their schedule, they've got five games left. I don't know if I see a victory. Uh, they've already lost to six games in a row. And then you've got Chicago, who's fighting for a spot. They have to go at Dallas. They get Golden State, who Golden State's still going to be fighting for that record. Um, again, you go at the Clippers and at Golden State to finish the year. Golden State's just not going to roll over and let you beat them at home. Even their backups are better than the Memphis starters at this point. And as crazy as it sounds, I think the Grizzlies are the team that gets left out of the playoff. It's either going to be Memphis or, or Houston, but I, I think it could be Memphis. So the Grizzlies... Protection is 15 through 30. So if they drop out, that's Denver's pick. That They're in a really bad predicament, man. They're either going to get shellacked or lose that draft pick. And they're old. Yeah. And that's tough because they're three games back on Houston right now. Houston, let's see. Let's see if they have the tiebreaker with Memphis. Okay, it'll come down to division record because they split their games this year. Okay, Houston would own the tiebreaker at this point because they're eight and seven in the Southwest Division. Memphis is seven and eight. Looks like they each have one game left to play. I mean, Houston's schedule is so easy. If they can get out of Dallas, I mean, they played Harden at forty-one on Sunday and they escaped Oklahoma City. Houston's another team that you, you think they're going to lose and they end up winning, and you think they're going to win, and they end up losing. I mean, they lose to a short handed Bulls team at home. Uh, they lose in Indiana, but then they go to Cleveland and win. I know LeBron didn't play, but that's still a tough victory. They beat the Raptors. They swept the Raptors on the season. But, you know, Houston's final five games, again, they have Dallas. Then they have at home against Phoenix, Los Angeles, at Minnesota versus Sacramento. Houston could not lose the rest of the way. That's why I think Memphis is actually going to be the team that, that falls so, out of the playoffs. It's so crazy to think that because they had that advantage Last week, they had that those game advantages. But when they're that injured, what can you do? And the, I mean, those are some serious injuries, too. It's not like some faux groin injury looking at you, Ryan Anderson. I mean, so that would be uh, definitely... That might be the final nail in the coffin of the Gasol-Randolph-Conley era. So to go think, from fifth out of the playoffs. Do you think I mean, Mike's gone? 
why would he come back? I know he has loyalty there, but that team is not even close. They, I don't even know if they make the playoffs next year with them healthy because I, I can't imagine Houston being this bad again. Utah's only going to get better. Portland's only going to get better. Yeah, they might edge out Dallas. So you're, you're looking at eighth, eighth best. This is Conley's last chance at getting paid. Why not go somewhere where you can, can really, really win? New York um, needs a point guard. I see. Again, I don't know if it's a much better. I know New York does. I don't know if that's a much better situation for him. But I was thinking about that the other day randomly. Like, where would Conley go, and should he go? If I'm him, I, I leave. Like, Zebos, thirty four, thirty five. Gasol's what thirty or thirty one. Um, Tony Allen. I don't know how much he's got left in him. Uh, they traded away Courtney Lee. Uh, Jeff Green. They traded Jeff Green. I mean, they just got just this this cluster of players and. It, it's all that's a team that needs to blow it up just destroy and rebuild mm-hmm. as Oz would say good reference thank you buddy thank you hitting on all cylinders at 10 53 p.m on this I monday i was gonna Net. say krs1 but yo good job all right so let's go into the final stretch the final four this is our final four um i know the college kids had the, had their shine tonight but to be honest, I was super bummed there was no NBA basketball, whether it was the Blazers or it was another team fighting for a playoff position that Stupid I could root against. Opening night of baseball, too. I oh. watched six innings of baseball today. Well, I'm not. I'm cool with baseball. That's, they're not going to stop NBA basketball from playing, but the, the basketball NBA never plays except if it's a makeup game on the championship Monday, um, which I guess is cool. But for me. Mike, the Ducks are out. I just wanted to follow the Blazers, just get more playoff seeding knowledge, uh, you know, put more pieces of the puzzle together. Four day, four night, there was a standstill, but it all picks up tomorrow. Last road game of the year for the Trailblazers. They take on the Sacramento Kings, who are just 31 and 46 on the year, uh, 17 and 21 at home, and 5 and 5 in their last 10. Sage, this game is so hard to predict because who in the hell is even going to play for them? I, I've heard rumors that they sit Cousins, but they play him at home. Uh, have you heard the same? I actually, yeah, yeah. I don't, what, why would you play any legitimately good player? They're trying to catch New Orleans for that draft. Yeah, they're, and not get passed wrote, by New York. Well, yeah, they're in the tank seeding race with the Knicks, the Bucks, the Pelicans, and the Nuggets. Uh, so and if, just if, think, if New York Knicks win, keep losing, Denver gets that pick. Yep. So, so just a quick refresh: the Trailblazers are three and zero against the Kings this year. They won ninety eight ninety four in Sacramento back on December twenty seventh. If you remember, Damian Lillard was absent in that game with CJ his plantar fascia. CJ, mm-hmm. Ice Cube, nearly got a triple-double, nearly messed around. Uh, 35-11-9, Portland bench came through when they needed it, even without Lillard, a 42-23 bench advantage. Just about a month later, on January 26th, Portland got a easy 112-97 victory over the Kings. Seven Blazers were a double figure, led by CJ with 18. Dame dished out 13 dimes. Myers. That was the, Myers really got into Cousins' grill. Cousins at 17 points, but when you look at his field goal shooting, 4 of 21 and 9 of 17 from the free throw line. And the uh, two fantastic. games before it, he was just killing the game. Yeah, I believe he had like 48 
and 54. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was just on a mission. And then more recently, um, March 28th, uh, 105-93 victory for the Blazers. The Kings rested uh, Cousins, Gay, uh, Bellinelli, Rajon Rondo, pretty much any player with the pulse, they rested. Mm-hmm. Uh, six players, again, for the Blazers, let, were double figures, led by uh, AC's 21. So what, what does this mean for the Blazers? Uh, I don't think last game is indicative of how it's going to go. Uh, this Kings team, when healthy, can beat anybody on their home court. They just smoked Dallas by, I believe, like 22 points a week or so ago. Portland better be careful in this game. It's their last road game of the year. We don't have Myers to play against Cousins. We didn't find that answer out last time because they rested Cousins. Um, what are you watching out for, Sage? What do the Blazers need to watch out for against this Kings team tomorrow night? Well, it, it totally depends on who's playing, who's not, but I think... We're assuming that they're they're playing their guns. Oh, they are. Um, we're assuming that. Let's when we're doing this. I think you got to watch out for Boogie, of course, and then the backcourt of Rondo and Darren Collison can create a lot of havoc. And I know Portland isn't good at defending Waterbug quick point guards like Darren Collison. He actually played a pretty nice game last time. Except, I mean, they got blown out, but he was playing well. I think it all starts on the defensive end of the court. Mm -hmm. And you look at how the Blazers have played the Kings this year. The Sacramento Kings average 107 points per game. That's third best in the league. Portland has held them to 94.7 points over three games. I think if you can continue to hold the Kings under 100 points, you're going to win the game. Sacramento is just 4-18 when they score less than 100 points. Um like that first meeting, I think the bench is going to be especially key in this one. We cannot rely on Damon CJ to do it all. We're going to need contributions from guys like um, Gerald Henderson, Ed Davis with those second chance points, and Alan Crabb. We really need those guys to have a big game because if Dame, we we shouldn't need Damon CJ just to say, "Hey, hop on, I'm going to take you to this victory." Heading into the postseason, uh, you want to see the whole team clicking on cylinders. And then my my X factor for the Blazers is Mo Harkless. Uh, Portland is 15 and six when he scores in double figures. If he can get Portland out to a good start and can hold that lead and just kind of fend off the Kings, the Kings really don't want to win this game. You know Absolutely they're thinking not. about they're thinking about booking that vacation to the Caribbean right now. Uh, put the put doubt in them early and often that says no, this is our victory. We're going to be playing in, in April and May, not you guys. We need this victory a lot more than you. Um, do you think Vonley's starting this game? Because they usually get AC and Cousins. So that's a pretty big lineup for Harkless to defend. Big... The good thing about AC is he's not going to do anything offensively. So no. If they want to step AC, you could put me on Quincy AC, and I'd say, Terry, leave me one-on-one with this guy. Let him go. You don't want Cousins shooting. You don't <laughs> want Rudy Gay shooting. Let the AC shoot the ball. Um what I love about Mo is that he's undersized, but the dude is aggressive on the boards. And I think he could cause a lot of problems if Portland can hold them to one shot and then leak out and run the break because AC can't keep up with him. Mm. I think this might be a game where Terry Stott says, hey, you play to our, our, our strength. You try to match up with us, not the other way around. We're the team going into the playoffs, not you. So I would like to see if he goes with Harkless and, and just early on sees what happens on the glass. Who's your expect? Okay. I want. I, to think, see, I also want to see the Rudy Gay off Rukumino matchup. 
Well, I think that's a, a key one. Portland's done a really good job on, on Gay this year. Um, in the past, Gay's had his way with the Trailblazers, but Chief has really locked him down. Uh, there are a few things for me that stand out. I think Portland really needs to win the free throw battle. The Kings get to the line a lot. No surprise when you have a guy like uh, DeMarcus Cousins. They get there almost 26 times a night. That's fifth most in the league. This next one is key. They have to limit turnovers. When you're playing on the road against a team like the Kings, who are just looking for anything to spark their interest, turnovers, fast break points, dunks, that's going to lead them to get excited about the game, their fans to get into the game. Um, Portland averages 14.3 turnovers per game on the road. The Kings force 15.9, seventh most. Um, The Kings get 17.6 points off of turnovers. That's eighth best. And they score over 17 fast break points, fifth most. So if Portland's not careful with this basketball and they don't come out ready to win, the Kings are going to have something in store for them. Uh, player-wise, Portland needs to slow down Seth Curry. Not Steph, Seth. Uh, he scored 21 against us last meeting, and he's averaging 19 points on 60% shooting in April. Granted, it's a small sample size of two games, but he's making the most of his minutes and He's got that Curry gene. He can uh, get open and get hot in a hurry. So Portland really needs to key in on him. He, What's your? He, go, ahead, go ahead. I mean, dude got a multi-guaranteed contract off a of summer league performance. He has skills and, and his last name. Well, and his last name. We yeah, know but his why. summer league performance was pretty good. Oh yeah, you're hoping you can get a little bit of that Curry luck though. Oh, you know he can shoot. So you're like, hey, maybe. You do you, you think know. Portland uh, gets this victory? Has to. I think it's a must win as well. They, I, they cannot lose this game. Sacramento does not want to win this game. Don't incentivize them to play hard. Punch them in the mouth. They're going to just fetal position it up and just die. They don't want to win. This team is the most dysfunctional team outside of the Lakers, maybe. So... Don't give them the re- any reason to want to play this game. Punch them in the mouth, they'll back down. I completely agree. I've got a, a Blazer victory as well. And which moves on to, I think, the most critical game of the season. The Oklahoma City Thunder come to town on the second night of a back-to-back. The Thunder are 53-24 and 24 on the year. Pretty much have that third seed locked up at West. Impressive 22-15 and 15 road record and 8-2 and two in their last 10. While Portland is on the second night of a back-to-back, thankfully so are the Thunder. They play in Denver the night before. And this is a game where, if you're Billy Donovan, all it takes is one Clipper loss or one Oklahoma City win, and you've got that third seed locked up. Are they going to rest anybody this game? If that still is in jeopardy, I don't think they'll rest. But if it's sewn up, what? why risk KD, Russ, any of the the, the core. So it, especially on the second night of the back. Exactly, man. Why why risk? Why look at it for short term game? It's all about the long term game. It's all about the playoffs. It's all about June. So if they have that th- third seed locked up, there is no point in risking Russ, KD, anyone. I'm I'm sure the Blazers and their fans would love it if they all were sitting out. So there's no point in playing them if they've got that stuff sewn up. And if they do play, like we should assume they will, um, let's take a look back at the matchups. And it's it's been a tough 
tough sledding for the Trailblazers. They got blown out in Oklahoma City uh, by 16, 106 to 90 on December 16th. Uh, Dame and CJ combined for 44. No other Blazer had more than 10 in that game. Uh, it was a game that Oklahoma City dominated in the paint, 48-34. Tim Frazier made an early entrance in that game, if I remember right. I'm, I think you're right as well. Oh. Uh, Portland did pick up the victory about a month later on January 10th, 115-110. to Dame had 31. We all remember that famous 17-point-in-three-minute stretch mm-hmm. where he just went nuclear on the Thunder. Um, and if you look at the stats, Portland actually outscored them in the paint, 38-34. to had 10 more rebounds than them, 52 to 42, and just killed them on the offensive glass, 20 to 8. Uh, those are going to be keys to beating this Oklahoma City team because you look at the, the, the last meeting, most recently on March 14th in Oklahoma City, uh, Thunder had their way with Portland, 128 to 94. Seven Thunder players were double figures led by 26 from Enos Cantor. And you go to points in the paint, Portland gives up 56 points in the paint. And they get out rebounded 52 to 39. Those are, I mean, you can take the Blazers and the Thunder in a vacuum and you can look at the box score and you can see, did the Blazers keep it close in points in the paint and did they out rebound the Thunder? If they did those two things, chances are they had a good chance of winning that game. Um, looking at the teams the Blazers have faced this year, uh, it doesn't get much more it's apparent of what you need to do to beat a team than the Oklahoma City mm-hmm. Thunder. And if those are bigs mo- are motivated, man, that's just it's just not good because we don't have the personnel to to match up with them. Should Portland go big to match Oklahoma City, or will they? I would, yeah. So who would you start? Would you go Bonley? I, I, you have to, or that's what I would want because you want to get him that royal jelly, and he's athletic enough to switch on defense. So it keeps some of the scheme intact, but you definitely play Harkless. But I would start with Vonley because he has more bulk and has a better chance of stopping Ibaka or whomever he's matched up with. I love Harkless's uh, motor, but sometimes size just matters. And this is a team where just having some players to be bulky enough and big enough to match up is just important. Agree, and I think it's going to take whether it's Harkless, whether it's Ed Davis, um, Von Lay, whoever it is, Portland really has to do a good job of that shell, like they did against Boston, keeping them out of the paint. Uh, I think a major key is holding the Thunder to under 40 points in the paint. Uh, OKC is one of the best in the business. They average almost 48 points in the paint, third top, third best in the NBA, and it's going to come down to the glass as well. Both teams are fantastic. Uh, Oklahoma City's number one, 48.4. Portland is number five, 45.6 rebounds per game. I think major key, though, holding the under to one shot. Oklahoma City has the highest offensive rebounding percentage in the NBA at about 31%. Just like any great team, you cannot let them have multiple opportunities at the rim. You get your stop. You push the break. You get easy buckets on that end. Um, you're the one that's controlling the glass. I think those two things will determine whether or not Portland exits this game with a victory. Um, who's your X Factor, Sage? Or what is your X Factor, I should say? I think it has to be containing the bigs. Of course, KD and Russ are going to get theirs, but you can't let the others contribute in a big fashion. Canner getting 26 points in a game, 
is not good for the Blazers' chances at victory. So yeah, I completely agree. Uh, my two X factors: one, do not let the role players beat you. I looked at the box score when they lost to the Rockets, and Katie and Russ, I think, combined for maybe fifty-nine points, but nobody else really did uh, a whole lot of anything. Spe- specifically, we really have to hold Ennis Cantor. He has just been a thorn in our side this year, averaging about 14-9 and on about 54% shooting in just 20 minutes. He's not even playing a whole lot, but he's producing at just extreme clips against this team, so we really need to limit him. And then we need to go big or go home from the three-point arc. If we can hit 13 plus threes, we will win this game. We're 13-4 and when hitting that many threes or more, and we made 19 we should did shoot 44. A lot of those were games last three-minute shots uh, when we beat them. So get the three, get the crowd involved. Uh, this is a big game for Portland. Uh, do you think they come away victorious? Yes. I'm going yes. I'm going the optimistic route. I, we, just, we, we need this game more than Oklahoma City. Um, I've got the faith that they're going to get this victory, and hopefully that would lock up the fifth seed because the next two games are against the Timberwolves and – the Nuggets up first. The Timberwolves just twenty-five and fifty-two on the year, uh, twelve and twenty-six on the road. Portland has done a great job at home lately. They're twenty-six and twelve. Uh, they've won six straight. I believe they're sixteen and two in their last eighteen home games. Uh, really starting to protect the home court. But Sage, this—if you go by, you know, previous history of the season. It's not going to be an easy game, but should it be an easy game? No. Because the Timberwolves aren't tanking. They're just playing bad. No. They're playing they cat. Have young team. Yeah, they're playing cat major minutes. They're playing Wiggins major minutes. They're playing Levine major minutes. They are not tanking. They're trying to develop that continuity, that chemistry to last them for next year, to get them to next year. So they are not tanking. Don't expect an easy victory because Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggy, they are playing major minutes in this game. And you mentioned don't expect an easy victory. You're completely right. I looked back. Yes, the Blazers are 3-0 against this team this year, but they've had to rally from 17 down twice in Minnesota. Uh, we won 106-101 on November 2nd and 109-106 on December 5th. But Towns had, what, 27 and 12 in that second game. Like I said, we, we rallied both times. Minnesota blitzed us right off the bat. And then we were both in attendance for uh, the January 31st game where Portland won just by three points, 96-93. We were down by two heading into that fourth quarter stage. Um, that was a game where we just really got manhandled on the boards. 13-10 uh, and 10 from Gorgie Zhang, 21-13 and 13 from Cat. Uh, Minnesota was plus 12 on the boards, uh, plus 15 or excuse me, they had 15 offensive rebounds. It's another game where small ball might not be effective, so Portland needs to grab rebounds. Uh, down the stretch, you know, rebounding wins championships. Rebounding is a big part of defense. And like you said, Minnesota's trying to win. They're, they just don't have a whole lot of talent. They're really inexperienced and have a lot of youth. Uh, this is, I would love for it to say Portland's going to blow them out, but for Minnesota's a got players that gives us problems. I don't know how we defend Towns. I don't know how many teams defend them. He's having one of the best rookie years ever. So, 
I'd put I'd have Alfaru cover Wiggy. I I'm trying to limit the Timberwolves others options. I think Towns is going to get his because we don't have the personnel to match up with them. But we can't let Levine and Wiggy go off cuz we actually have personnel that could slow them down and I think Von Lays and Davis are going to have big games because we need them for Gorgi Dang defense. Cause yeah, I think they they're this, going big. I think this is going to be a big Damon CJ game. They're going to eat on the Timberwolf guards, and again, Portland just wants it more. They have to want it more. Uh, you can't lose to the Timberwolves and expect to move up in the standings. Uh, I've got a big Blazer victory. I think they actually do finally beat them by double figures. It's not going to be easy. I think they're going to pull away late, but I think they get them by ten. What do you say, Sage? I say it's a definite win. Uh, I'm going to say eight point. Eight point Blazer victory. And then the final game of the 2016 regular season is against the Denver Nuggets. It is fan appreciation night. Your boy will be in attendance. Uh, Denver is just 32 and 46 on the season, uh, 15 and 25 on the road. But again, this is a game. Does Portland know their seed before it tips off? Portland tips off at 7.30 Pacific time. Almost every other game will be completed by then. Um, who plays? Um, it, it's, it's so hard to predict a game like this or to even go into stats because who's going to play for Denver? Portland could be resting their starters. Um, Portland is 2-1 and one against the Nuggets this year on the, on the season. Uh, Denver really killed us on the bench. 41 to 20 in that game back in November 9th where they won 108 to 104. But Portland has had two... Again, against like, like the Timberwolves, close victories. They won on December twenty, December thirtieth, excuse me, one ten one oh three. No Damian Lillard in that game. He was still injured, but CJ had twenty nine, AC had twenty, and then they won by six in Denver. What four days later? Again, no Lillard. Twenty five and seven or twenty five and seven for CJ, nineteen for Hendo, and Chief and AC combined for twenty eight. This is going to be a weird game because Dame hasn't played against this team, if he does play, since November 9th. Um, all those questions I talked about. Um, in my notes, I stopped doing research, and I just wrote, just show up. Mm-hmm. Is I that mean, what it's down to for this team? I think that the Nuggets are going to play their starters because, I mean, you got to develop Emmanuel Moutier. got to give Jokic his time. got to see what you can get from Jerome Sampson. Gary Harris is starting to develop. They need to give all these players their time to shine. So I don't think that they're going to just tank it, tank it all away. Emmanuel Moody has been playing fantastic the last two months. He's playing some lockdown defense. He kind of reminds me of a, a raw Drew Holiday on defense. No, a, a raw Drew Holiday in general. He's willing to do the d- little things in order to to win it for his team. I'm really liking what I'm seeing from him. But I think it's definitely a Blazers victory because at the end of the day, Denver really doesn't want to win this game. They want they have the opportunity to switch with uh the New York Knicks on whoever has the worst seed the better pick, Denver gets it. So they want to give themselves the best chance at a top five pick. They gotta lose this game. And I think even if Portland knows their seeding beforehand, 
uh, it's fan appreciation night. They want to put a good product out for them, even if you're limiting Damon CJ's minutes. For factors that you mentioned, Denver doesn't really need to win this game. Portland wants to... It doesn't even matter if it's Connaughton and Alexander and Montero out there getting buckets. A victory always helps morale, and you want to go into the playoffs on a high note. That would that would be, what, win number four, and they would have won quite a few out of the last ten games. It is just too damn late for me to look at that stat right now. <laughs> I, I got big Blazer victory. I think they end the season 4-0. They got that fifth seed and um, would be welcoming the L.A. Clippers in a first-round matchup. You see that same scenario happening, Sage? I do. And it's so crazy to think about that through all the ups and downs of this year to be the fifth seed in the West. It's pretty great. And I'm looking forward to seven games of postseason content. So before we finish the podcast, we have a couple fan questions. So let's get these started. Perfect segue from at Stuart. Any possible tricks that Stotts is saving for the playoffs? And also, how does a Clippers matchup play out for the Blazers? Take that first question, Sage. Is there any tricks up Terry Stotts' sleeve? I don't know. Um, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you want to introduce anything brand new in the most important time of the situation. I'd go chalk on a lot of things just so that there's not all these thoughts in the player's head so they can just play naturally and hard. Yeah, and it's 78 games into the season. Whatever tricks he's had, I think he's used. Mm -hmm. Uh, Portland needs to throw everything, the kitchen sink, to win these next four games to get that fifth seed because that's the only chance they have of advancing out of the first round of the playoffs. I think if we do see anything, it will be a game three or a game four or game five when you're in a playoff series and you've had the chance to go up against an opponent multiple times mm -hmm. in a short time span, that's when you see the adjustments and you see the the tricks as you might see. What a Steve Kerr did last year against Memphis, putting Bogut on Tony Allen and essentially playing five on four on defense, just letting Allen roam. I think we could see something like that um, in a playoff series. But to his second question, uh, how does a, how does a matchup against the Clippers play out against the Blazers? Obviously, it's the most favorable, but um, is that just because the other teams are just so much better, or is it actually a good matchup for Portland? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that the Clippers are going to have to try and develop that continuity with Blake Griffin. He has to mesh with all of those players. I think it's the best opportunity for the Blazers to do well in the playoffs because of how dysfunctional the team is, how Blake Griffin has to be part of the team in order for them to even have a chance of succeeding, how Chris Paul plays with Blake Griffin if he defers. There's a lot more what-ifs for the Blazers than against the Thunder or the Spurs or the Warriors. Yeah, it's... Also, you have to factor in how much pressure is on this Clippers team. If they go out in the first round of the playoffs, that team's getting blown up. Um it might get blown up if, if they don't even get to the conference finals. But there's a lot of pressure riding on this team. They threw everything to keep DeAndre Jordan back. They've had the same core intact for like three or four years, and they just haven't seemed to get over the hump. You know that pressure is building inside of them, and that could go one of two ways. That could ignite them, but that could also burden them, and they could 
thinking about every single move that they make, and that would play directly into Portland's hands. I will say this. The Blazers, while they haven't been able to, I would say, get over that hump in Staples this year, I mean, we've seen them blow that 35-point lead in the preseason, that debacle earlier this uh, spring in uh, Los Angeles as well when we were up seven with about two or three minutes to go. There's going to come a time when Portland finally fights through and gets a victory in Los Angeles. And I think it's just, it's a good matchup. DeAndre is not very good on offense outside of the lobs. Portland's done a really good job on defending the lob against DeAndre. When he's on the court, there's always the hack a strategy, which we've seen Terry Stotts use it in playoff situations before. It really helped us win game one in Houston two years ago when we did it against Dwight Howard. We were down 13 points in that game one. A lot of people forget about that because LaMarcus had 41 points uh, and Dame hit that big shot. But it really started with that hacka, and we could see that again. And while they have a lot of offense, the Clippers don't strike me as a very elite defensive team. So if we can get going offensively, that's going to fuel the rest of our team. Uh, That's why I like that matchup. Uh, Let's see if we have any more questions. Yes, we have one more from Superfan and longtime listener. Long story longer. Says, who are our must-keeps for the offseason to keep building a winning team? Not who you think they will, but who do you want? Who do, so who do you want? want? On our current team? Mm-hmm. Um, who do you want? We gotta who do keep, you want back? Got to keep the core. Um, Dave and CJ. Al Farouk's such a bargain. Ed Davis is a bargain. Mason's a bargain. I want one of the two guards, Crab or Hendo, whoever's cheaper, I think. Because, it, it, I mean, the, the, the cap's going up, but you still have to keep in mind salaries. Um, I, I'm fine with Brian Roberts if it's a small contract. If not, we'll get another dime a dozen backup point guard. I just want to not make a lot of moves because that will mess up the continuity, and I want to see the continuity bump next year. But, yeah, I agree. I think if we're talking about must-keeps, Dame, obviously number one on that list. Mm-hmm. CJ, I definitely want to keep him. Again, if somebody's like, hey, we'll trade you Steph Curry for CJ. I mean, there's those type of 2K <laughs> trades that are out there, but they're only out there in 2K. So for all intended purposes, you definitely want to keep CJ. I think that backcourt's only going to get better. King is walking through that door. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, would, I, would, I would have a hard time moving... I think he might be better suited coming off the bench, but he is easily our best defender, and he's made more threes this year than he has at any point in his entire career. I think he's only getting better. He's not as reckless as he was early on in the season. And bargain he's, contracts. he's a great contract. I would not move Ed Davis for hardly anything. Role players like contract. him. And what can you, if you try to trade Ed yeah. Davis, you can't get shit because of the salaries. I wouldn't even if if you're doing a mega deal and the other team's like we want Ed Davis that mega deal would have to be so goddamn sweet to move him because you're not going to find a player like him on that contract who's willing just to rebound and play defense and he is so good around the rim when he gets the ball that's what I love about him you know when he gets that ball he is finishing that I'm shocked when it doesn't go if if your only gripe on him is that he yeah, if your only gripe is that he's a 50-50 free throw shooter uh, for your backup big, you can live with that. So Ed Davis is a definite must-keep. 
Um, Noah Vonley. You don't trade Nicholas Batum and then give up on Noah Vonley. You've got to keep Vonley, and he's only 20 years old. He is only going to get better with playing time, and you, you have to use that potential and keep that in-house. Mm-hmm. Uh, agree with you. We probably should keep one of the two guards, Crab or Henderson. I honestly, I don't have a preference right now. Uh, the playoffs are going to determine which player I would want because I think you see the best in players when when the the lights shine brightest. Example: CJ McCollum last year, and then Mo Harkless. I think he rounds out my. Oh, my, I forgot about him. I want him because he's going to be a restricted free agent. I think we could get him on a good deal and. He's just a player who you can – he's like a designated hitter in baseball. You, he can come off the bench and just get you that base hit when you need it, or he can start you know, for two weeks out of the season in a row and produce, and that's what he's doing right now. Uh, he's so young. I still think he has so much upside. Once he hits that corner three and becomes a legit 3 and D player, uh, watch out. So those are my must-keeps as the Blazers look to build a winning team. I think they need another – um, I think they need defense, whether it's on the perimeter or interior. They, they're lacking defenders on this team, and we need a legitimate third scorer who can get us 18, 19 points a night to go along with Damon CJ. That's going to take a lot of the burden off of those two guards. Mm-hmm. Whew. Sage, we had a lot to cram into this episode because it is the final podcast of the regular season. Uh, but don't fret. We will be coming at you with our playoff preview podcast. Uh, next week once the seeds are set and then Sage and I are just going to create content after each game we're going to do a a look back at that game and a preview of the upcoming game look at what's happening around the rest of the NBA give our predictions and it's go time Sage and we got some great ass guests too we're going to have some guests Dustin went beast mode for you guys so we're going to have some great guests for you um so again, if you if you love what you're hearing, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes, give us that five star rating. Uh, you can find this podcast on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. Our email address is holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Holy Backboard. Uh, Sage, it's late, eleven twenty six PM on a Monday night. It is time to get the heck out of here. Uh, thank you again for a fantastic episode and uh any final words? Go Blazers. Go Blazers, baby. Let's go!